I am so glad to be here uh, to worship with you all this morning. I, I'm excited. Um, I'm thankful I've clearly been given the opportunity to, to come here and, and proclaim God's word. Uh, so I hope you're excited with me. I, I love this, this video and this series we're going through, Power Walking, although this morning as I was sitting there thinking about the text that I was asked to preach on, it's, it's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, all the way through about halfway through chapter 5. And so I was thinking about that, and I was like, man, to, to get through this whole text, it's, it's going to have to be more of a sprint, right? Like, there's so much to cover. You could do probably 100 different messages on this text. Uh, so we are going to power walk through this, this text. I'm going to take some pieces here and, here and there, but what I want you to focus on is I'm going to make some points, like picture us on a path. I'm going to point out some, some different cool trees, some truths, but I want you to focus on this main point this morning, and that main point is this. Christ has provided you with new clothes and you should have already put them on. Say one more time. Christ has provided you with new clothes and you should have already put them on. And the reason I say you should have already put them on is because Paul is speaking to Christians in this passage. So we'll get into it a little bit more. But, but as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about theme parks, right? Have you ever been to a theme park and you notice the people who are working there? Usually they're dressed up in some like funky outfit, uh, they're just a little awkward, like not in a way we would usually dress. But that's because they want to be easily identifiable, right? You want to know, okay, this is the person, if I have a question, you know, this is the person working for the theme park. Well, Paul in this passage kind of makes a similar point about us as followers of Jesus. If we're going to follow Christ, we should be able to be viewed by other people in a way that's easily identifiable. A way where people can see that, that we identify with Christ based on the way we look. Not necessarily physically, uh, but the way that we act and walk in our day-to-day -day lives. And so, verse 17 of chapter four, Paul says this, therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. You see, when you see the uh, therefore in, in a passage in scripture, you wanna ask the question, what it's there for? The reason Paul puts this therefore here is because Christ has called you, each of us in this, this body of people that, that claims to be a follower of Jesus, he's called you to a position within his church. He's called you to a purpose within this church to help build up and play a role here, right? So we gotta keep his thought in mind with the truth that because Christ is building his church through you, you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. So you gotta remember though, you once, all of us here, were once in darkness and in ignorance when it comes to understanding the gospel. None of us here were, were born as, as children, as babies, just understanding this salvation plan that, that God had, had created, right? We had to hear the gospel and respond through repentance and faith. So we once were deceived by our own evil desires. We once were, were walking with a pursuit of, of a different lifestyle. And, and our pursuits usually looked like this. I'm going to go to such and such a place. I'm going to make this amount of money and then I will have made it, right? Maybe you're pursuing a certain job and you think once I get to that, that specific position, I'm good, right? But what we see in Christ is that ultimately these things are vain. They're futile. It's a dead end. And so let me elaborate a little bit. Think about the lost person, the person who, who hasn't trusted in Jesus Christ, who has no eternal view, right? What end do they work to? What is their ultimate purpose in doing what is good and, and pursuing things in this world? Because I believe they ultimately don't have a purpose, no matter how much they wanna argue, because think about it. We're all gonna die one day, 
And when I die, my money is going to someone else, probably my children. You know, if I don't have any children, someone that I love or care about, right? Maybe in this life I've done something that is really good. I've, I've been able to, you know, impact this world. I've been able to help get clean water somewhere. That's a great thing, right? Getting clean water to a place that needs it. But think about 10, 15, 20 years down the road. What if, what if someone comes along and just undoes all the good that you've done with your whole life? You see, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do good, right? We can all see that we should do good things. But apart from an eternal view, a Christ-centered view, these things done by the lost person are ultimately in vain. What is the purpose? To what end do they work? Think of it like this. Here's an illustration. Think about a man who's living in South Carolina who says, okay, I'm gonna go to Seattle. I'm gonna travel across the United States. And on his trip, he's, he's about to plan it, right? He's, he's wanting to make sure that his journey is, is the best it can be. So he looks up the best restaurants, he looks up the best hotels, he looks up the best places to sightsee and, and go and maybe like have some fun, maybe some theme parks or maybe some places to take some selfies, right? Some cool experiences. And so he's successful in his planning of those things, right? He finds out all these places, so he goes to all the best restaurants, his belly's full, he's excited about that. He goes to the best hotels, he, he gets great service, he's sleeping in some great comfortable beds, he's excited about that. He goes to some awesome places, has some great experiences. All those are good things, right? But then he gets to Seattle, and he realizes, I didn't have any plans for once I got here. I don't have a place to stay. I don't know anything about this place. I don't know where I'm gonna work, what I'm supposed to do. That is a picture of the person who seeks purpose and gain in this life without a Christ-centered view, without an eternal mindset. If not for Jesus Christ, all things are futile. And people will argue with you. They'll, they'll argue reasoning for, for why they have morals apart from God, for, for why they do a certain thing with, with, you know, they say, I don't need God or this and that. But I believe confidently that, that they argue out of a place of pride, out of a place of, of lacking understanding. And my mind goes to the book of Job. You remember the story of Job? Everything was taken from him. His family, his wealth, all his possessions and everything. He's sitting on a pile of garbage, has welts all over him, and God allowed that to happen as a test of his faith. Seems crazy, right? Towards the end, when Job finally is like questioning and he kind of gets fed up he, to his breaking point, God shows up in a really kind of scary way in chapter 38, and he says, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world, is what God says to him. He begins to list, if you look at 39 and, and uh, you know, those two chapters, it might be three chapters of Job, God just lists on and on here. Where were you when I placed the stars in the sky? Where were you when I created all these animals? Do you know that, that the exact time the sun's gonna rise and do you cause that to happen? Because God says, I do. And you just get this picture of how tiny Job is, how tiny we are, how big God is. So I'm convinced that it's clear, like apart from Christ, our thoughts are, are futile. Apart from Christ, our hearts are deceptive. Apart from Christ, our knowledge is so minuscule in comparison to God's. So we gotta be careful, but but there's encouragement in this passage because Paul says now of you who are in Christ, remember he's speaking to Christians, you who are in Christ, verse 22, you took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on, you have been clothed in the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. 
I want to point out two commands this morning. We'll start with one and go into some detail about it. But back to that main point. This is something we already should have done if we're followers of Jesus in here. But it's something that if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would plead with you to think about and and try to hear what I'm speaking up here and comprehend it and, and seek the Lord and seek to do this. And that thing is put on the clothes of Christ's likeness. Put on the clothes of Christ's likeness. So why would we put on the clothes of Christ's likeness? Well, if we do that, it's ultimately because, one, we have seen the futility and deception of sin. We've seen that dead end already, right? So I've just explained it, but if you're following Christ, the reason you now walk with him is you saw how that lifestyle leads. You saw where it ends. And you said, okay, I understand the goodness that's in Jesus and and how ultimately there's, there's nothing there for me. So when we use this phrase, put on the clothes of Christ's likeness, we've got to understand that Paul's referring to actions and character traits and things that that we would kind of combine and say are moral things, right? He's giving us a list of moral characteristics and moral things, moral do's and don'ts, right? But then that, that brings up the question, okay, is there a difference between this Christian set of morals and any other religion? Because I'm, if you compare religions, right, Christian morals, a lot of them are similar with maybe some Hindu, Buddhist, or Islamic morals. So you've got to ask the question, is there a difference? And I would say yes, there is a huge difference. And I, w- I want to look at that because I think there's a huge difference between what the gospel message proclaims to us, the hope that's there, and the lack of hope that's in all these other religions that are, that are false messages, I believe. And so that is this. There's a religious morality in this earth that we live on, that people pursue. And what that religious morality seeks to do is, is this. It seeks to do what is good, seeks to do good things, but it seeks to do what is good out of, a, out of an attempt to draw closer to God. Does that make sense? It's not seeking to, glo- to do what is good out of, out of just a pure heart, but it's seeking to, to get somewhere, right? And I even think that you can take an atheist mindset, someone who doesn't believe in God or claims to not believe in the existence of God, and you can kind of throw them in that category, and here's why, because even though they may not use the language of God or worship, right, what they show is that all of their pursuits, they're either from a place of selfishness or wanting to do something because they're wanting to please someone else. And we can act like we're humble, right? But we all, if we're honest, we know the selfishness that we all have in our hearts. And so just instead of using that language of God and, and worshiping God, they, they worship themselves or they worship some other person, they worship something, and in doing that, they are committing idolatry. So there's this religious set of morality, and and I think it lines up clearly with Romans chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. He says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for idols. Stopped worshiping God and are pursuing these things, whether it's themselves or physical things. And that's a religious, moralistic view, and that is is anti-gospel. Because you see... Another thing, another reason we put on clothes, we've seen that futility and deception of sin, but we've also seen the glory of God in Christ's work. We've seen how good this gospel message is. And when we see how good this gospel message is, here is where we get Christian morality, okay? And here's how I define Christian morality. It is a morality, a doing what is good, a being like Christ, because we see that we already are close to God. Do you hear that? We do what is right, what is just, what is good and pleasing to God, because we already are in right relationship with God. He has brought us into right relationship with himself. We have not earned it. I don't believe that, that, you know, really any of this is a coincidence. I don't believe that you're here for no reason. 
I think, I think that we draw near to God because he draws near to us. And I think the fact that each of you are here this morning shows me that God is drawing near to your hearts, whether you already are in relationship with him or whether you're like right there. And he's just been getting a hold of your heart and he's been doing it and doing it. And you, you know it, but you've been pushing it back. I believe you're here with a purpose. And so I want you to hear that truth that's so good that, that God comes down and draws close to us. We do seek God. We do seek to please our Father. We'll see that in, in a couple of verses about imitating God, but we do it because he's drawn close to us. Hear me, when you, when you truly surrender to Jesus, you stop trying to work yourself to God. And you finally are willing to humble yourself and say, okay, I gotta put it all down, I gotta stop right here because I can't keep trying to do this. And you say, Jesus, I trust that you've done what I couldn't. That moment of surrender, of resting, of trusting with true and genuine faith will be the moment that you can get up and begin actually walking as Christ has commanded you to walk. And you can do it with a joyful attitude. You can do it with a sincere conscience. What a beautiful thing, that's the power of the gospel. So you see, when, when we are associated with Jesus Christ, we are now associated with him not through just our words, right? We profess faith in Jesus, but we're also associated with Jesus through our actions. And in fact, Paul says if, if our actions are, are contrary to the actions of Christ, if we're walking in a way that doesn't look like Christ, if we're still stuck in sin, then we don't have any inheritance in his kingdom. Then we, we may have missed something with this message. But here's, here's a practical implication. This is going back to verse 17 where Paul says, you know, you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. That word Gentiles really just means, you know, any people that are not a part of God's people, right? So we were all at one point Gentiles. You get that? It's not a specific race or culture over here. It's everybody who is not in right relationship with God. They're a Gentile. So now as those who are clothed in Christ, we are with Jesus I want you to hear this. There is no single political ideology. There is, there is no single culture. There is, there is no form of entertainment. There is no phenomenon that will completely wrap up Jesus Christ. And the reason I say this, and it might sound like it's, it's kind of out there, but again, we're not walking as the Gentiles walk. What do you see people all around do? Maybe some of you struggle with this. Getting obsessed with the things of this world getting obsessed with politics, thinking that politics are the answer. Remember, apart from Christ, those things are temporary fixes. We're looking at the soul. We're looking towards eternity. We gotta have a gospel-centered mindset, and we gotta be careful. We gotta be on guard because our culture is not gonna be perfect, right? So we don't get sucked up into that to the point where we begin to commit idolatry. We gotta guard our hearts. And Paul says, guard your heart against deception and empty arguments, all right? So, so I want you to just... Throw that out there, you know, think about that. Be cautious. It's good to question where your loyalty lies. In chapter one of verse, or, or chapter five of verse one, Paul says, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. You guys know that God has adopted us into his family through the sacrificial death of Christ. So now, because of that work, right, we actively get to put on these clothes of Christ's likeness. One of the things I like to tell our students, if they listen, all right, is if the gospel doesn't thrill you, then you're probably misunderstanding the gospel. If, if you don't get excited about this message of Jesus Christ coming and literally like pulling you, like he raised us from the dead is how Paul describes it in the beginning of Ephesians. Like you were dead in your sin and trespasses, but Christ has made you alive. And so 
if you don't see this clearly, if, you, if you've never got excited about this message, then I challenge you to ask yourself, do I understand the depth of this? Do I understand the depth of my sin? And what I'm not saying is that each of you in here have to like be Jesus freaks, right? I'm not saying that we're all gonna be like happy-go-lucky, going crazy, like smiling like this, like every day, you know? That's just, that's not realistic. But we see in scripture that we're gonna face hardships, we're gonna face trials. And so I'm trying to make a connection here, and here's the connection. If you're not experiencing the joy of Christ, it may be because you're facing a trial, it may be because you're facing something hard, and I believe that God allows that to happen to us, and he, he oftentimes makes himself feel distant from us, not so that we can pull away from him, but so that we can draw closer to him, so that we can, we can come and our faith will grow. It's like James says in chapter one, blessed are you when you endure various trials, because that testing of your faith produces endurance. It's a good thing when you face those trials. So really, I'm just trying to get you to ask the question, have you ever experienced true thrill, true joy in Jesus Christ? Excitement about what he's done. Because if you haven't, I think there may be something missing. But don't be discouraged if you're not experiencing that right now. And I would plead with you, draw closer to him, okay? Draw closer to him. I think it's so glorious, the fact that each of us are so wicked and so evil and I'm not any more special than any of you, and my dad's not any more special than any one of you, and you know, we're all on the same playing field when it comes to sin. We've all been disgusting and filthy before God, yet in that place, Paul says Christ died for us. And so that should excite us. But now we imitate God in everything we do. And you don't do this, you don't imitate God by asking the question, what would Jesus do? That's a good question to ask, right? And I ask myself that question a lot. But as I, as I thought about this, right, here's really how we should be imitating God. We set our minds on answering the question what Jesus has already done. If our focus is on the accomplished work of Christ, then we'll see what Jesus has done. We won't have to ask, okay, what would Jesus do in this situation? Because our minds are already focused on his accomplished work, saving us. And that'll bring that joy. That focus will help us discern from just making a good decision and distinguish that decision from religious hypocrisy, right? Because the last thing we want is, is to just be a bunch of hypocrites. The focus that asks what Jesus has already done is a gospel-centered focus. When I think of imitating Christ, I, I think of that quote. Uh, you may have heard it. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. How true is that? Right? I mean, I know it was true for me in high school. I, I know I see it in a lot of people today, right? Paul even says that, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, he says, bad company corrupts good morals. Whoever you're spending the most time with, whoever you're, you're looking up to the most, you're going to slowly become more like that person. But you gotta make the decision, you gotta figure out, okay, is that person pointing me closer to Christ or are they separating me farther from God? And so here's where I think that we've really gotta focus on making sure that we are seeking Christ and setting our minds on him because we wanna become like him. If we're in his word, if we are seeking him in his word, if we're seeking him in prayer, if we're seeking him through fellowship with his people, one another, then we're gonna be conformed to his image. We're gonna be able to walk in, in a way that imitates him and imitates his character. So here are some things that, that Paul says that, that imitation, that Christ-likeness should look like. He says truth-telling. He says righteous anger, and, and righteous anger isn't when someone cuts you off and you get frustrated, even if they're in the wrong, right? Righteous anger is, is that hatred we have for sin. It's that hatred for, we have for the result of sin. We see that sin causes death. Sin, sin just pulls people away from God and enslaves us. 
It's a hatred we have for sin. He says working and faithfully giving, edifying one another in your talk, being kind and forgiving. And he says all of this is summed up in walking in love. All of those commands summed up in walking in love. Let's look at chapter four, verse 25 through 31. I'm gonna paraphrase some of this and it connects, but Paul says you put away lying. You've done this when you put on the new clothes of Christ. You put away lying. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. No foul language is to come from your mouth. He then says, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him for the day of redemption. I wanna make a, a quick point here. Please focus up on this one. If, if I've lost you, then focus up here because this is important. When we think about not grieving God's Holy Spirit, I want you to picture about whatever relationship you're in that you, you value the most. For me, it's my wife, right? Apart from Christ, I value my relationship with my wife the most. You know why I wouldn't cheat on my wife? There, there's a lot of bad things that would come with that probably, right? Like I could get caught and that would be pretty bad. I, I would probably get divorced, right? I, I'm a pastor, so, so I'd probably get fired from my job, right? Because I've, I've done something horrible. I may lose custody of my daughter. That would be horrible. All those things are bad, right? But those aren't the reasons that I don't cheat on my wife. The reason I don't cheat on my wife is because I love her, I care about her, I would never wanna hurt her. When I look at her, I'm satisfied with who she is. She doesn't have to become something to, to please me more. Like, I look at her and I thank God for her. And if I were to go and do that, what I'd be saying is, you're not enough for me. You're not good enough. And I would never wanna hurt her like that. And so, in our relationship with God, Paul says, we've been sealed with his Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. God's Spirit's in our hearts until the day we face Jesus. And why would you wanna grieve him and say to him, look him in the face and say, you know, you, you don't have power to free me from sin. I just don't really feel like spending time with you. I, I don't really care what you have to say today. And how often do we do that when we, we blatantly ignore the commands of God and we just go after our own deceitful desires? I think it happens all too often. That was just a quick point that I think is so important about grieving the Holy Spirit. And Paul continues, he says, all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you, along with all malice. Chapter five, verse three, he says, but sexual immorality, any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for the saints. Coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. Verse 11 is where we're gonna tie it up with the, that second command. He says, don't participate in fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. There's a command, expose sin, that second command. With our new clothes on, our Christ-like clothes on, we expose sin. Wherever the truth of God is proclaimed, wherever the gospel is proclaimed and God's moving, there the light of Christ will shine in the hearts of us, of men and women all around, and our sin will be exposed. That's a convicting thing. When we're talking about these sins, even as I, I read them out, bitterness and anger, right? I think there's a distinction almost between the sins Paul lists because I think there's kind of two categories. I think one, you have over here some sins that we like to excuse. Going back to that anger, that bitterness, the lying. I think sometimes we even excuse theft. I really needed it. But then he, he points out some sins that he says shouldn't even be heard of among you. And those sins, we usually like to point out more. Well, I can't believe you, you committed sexual immorality, right? We don't say it like that, but you know what I'm saying. We like to point the finger at the person who's a drunk. 
Say, how can they, how can they be like that? When, when we're holding on to bitterness in our heart, we're giving the enemy a foothold in our life. Paul says, do not give the devil an opportunity, and we give the devil an opportunity when, when we let our anger control us. When we hold on to bitterness, when we continue to lie, thinking that we're, we're doing it with good intentions. Those things are still sin. So, so ultimately, the point here is this. According to God's word, we've, we've got to acknowledge sin, and we've got to expose it. And when we expose sin, we're doing this out of faith and love. Here's how we're doing it out of faith and love. When we expose sin in one another, whether it's proclaiming the gospel, whether it's in relationship with one another, I maybe have to confront you on something in love. What I'm saying is, is I'm not saying I'm so much better than you. I'm not saying I can't believe you'd never do that. What I'm saying is, is I trust God to bring you out of this, to free you from this, and to restore you to the place that you need to be. When we refuse to acknowledge, address, expose sin, what we're saying is the gospel doesn't actually have power. Guys, it's vital, it's a command. We have got to expose sin. Okay, and there are three ways, and this is where we're, where we're coming around the corner, we're almost done. Three ways we're gonna expose sin. I think those ways are one, proclaiming the gospel. Right, so in this time right now, if I'm faithful to proclaim the gospel, if, if we're talking about the gospel, I think that exposes our sin, right? I think two, fellowship with one another in the church. I think as, as we come together and the light of Christ is in me, and maybe you're struggling, maybe Christ will use me to expose something going on in your life, and vice versa, okay? I think the third one is, is putting on, again, the clothes of Christ. So let me explain this a little bit. It's so vital that we expose sin in the church because if we don't, what we're saying to the world is that ultimately we're no different than you. Ultimately, we fear one another's opinions. We fear what you may think about us more than we fear God. And I heard it said like this, and this quote got me, okay? It's like, how, how horrifying would it be if you're standing before God and he looks at you and he says, you are afraid of everyone and everything except for me. You know, there's a fear of the Lord that is healthy, that is right, that is good. And so we need to expose sin. And so proclaiming the gospel, right? Being in fellowship with one another within the church. I believe that's how it happens in the church. And hear me right now. The reason you may be uncomfortable being a part of a life group, if that's you, and I don't, I don't, I don't know everybody in here is, here's what your, your role is, right? But if that's you, I want you to ask yourself, are you concerned about maybe some things coming to light and feeling like it's gonna be horrible? Because if that is you, I would plead with you, realize and see that God exposing our sin is not an act of, of judgment and, and a mean thing. When God exposes our sin, it's a blessing. It's him, him saying, here, repent of this, turn from this and come, come to me. Look at what I've done. Rest in me. So this exposing of sin is a good thing. All right, whenever we... Uh, look at sin in the world, here's how I think we expose it. I, I don't think that we necessarily go around screaming at people the gospel. Because I've had some people scream at me the gospel even coming out of like a, um, we were at Passion, a big conference worshiping Jesus, and people were screaming at us the gospel, right? And I'm thinking, what? I wanted to have a conversation with them, but it was like one in the morning. It's crazy. I'm thinking, what are you doing? There's a place for street preaching. I don't think, you know, 90% of us in here have that gift to go and street preach, Right? I've seen people go and street preach and, and they win people to Jesus and they, they're so faithful in that. They do such a great job. But I think the way that most of us in here are gonna expose sin in the world is through loving our neighbor as ourselves. 
You remember Jesus said, love even your enemies. Bless those who curse you. And so if we're loving our enemies, that will mean I think we're serving them, we're, we're seeing needs, we're filling needs, we're, we're being present for them, right? And in that place, relationships are bound to be built. When you spend time with people, when you serve people, when you love people, you build a relationship with them. And in that place, I believe, we have an opportunity to share the gospel. But in this world where we're constantly being marketed to, I think we gotta be careful that, that we don't make people think that the gospel is just another thing that needs to be marketed because this is eternity. This is joy. This is salvation. This is so much more than everything that's being thrown at us all the time. And so we gotta take it serious. The last way we expose sin, again, putting on those clothes of Christ's likeness, the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. When we are living different from the world, we will be walking in obedience to what Jesus said about being salt and light. When we're imitating him, we're not gonna be like the culture around us. Because again, no matter how much we, we tag Christianity on things, whether it's politics or culture, right? Culture and politics are always gonna stray away from the gospel. We got to have a gospel-centered focus. We gotta make sure that, that we're constantly walking with Jesus and he is our primary goal. Right In that place of knowing him, enjoying him, being with him, that's where we will begin to be like him. And in being like him, people will see how far away they are. And we'll be able to welcome him with open arms. Right, We'll be able to serve them and love them. Being like Christ means loving your neighbor. So here's, we're gonna close in a prayer, right? Uh, but I wanna, I wanna encourage you. There's two people here, two groups of people here. You are either following Christ, you've put on these clothes of Christ's likeness, you're walking with him, and I would just encourage you, as we pray, let your heart be filled with joy. Praise God, thank God for all that he's done. Because remember, this gospel message, when, when I begin to think, even on my worst days, when I begin to think about how awesome this is, it brings joy to my heart. So you're either here and I want you to just worship as we close in prayer. Or you're here and you say, okay, I don't know what he was talking about. I have, I have never been put on the clothes of Christ. I mean, I don't really think about what God's will for me is. I wanna beg you. I do believe time is of the essence and I don't say that to scare you. It's, I say that because James says we shouldn't say, oh, we're planning this week to go here, here and make a profit and go hang out with this person. Instead, we, we should say, okay, if God wills, I'm gonna go and do this thing. I don't know what tomorrow holds and you don't either. But the gospel's so simple where we can just trust in Jesus, turn from our sin and say, I know you've accomplished what I couldn't. And so if that's you today, then I would challenge you, I'd plead with you, please seek him and do that, come to faith in him, because he cares for you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for exposing my sin. I thank you that that, that act of exposing helped me come to a place of, of seeing how righteous and holy you are, and, and how I, you've offered me salvation that was greater than I could have ever imagined. Lord, I thank you that you give me power to overcome my sin, because God, apart from you, I can't just do better and do better, but, but God, with your power, with your gospel, I'm able to be freed from the clutches of sin, and I'm able to, to walk with you in right relationship. Father, I thank you for that. 
Lord, I pray that today you would, you would continue to open our eyes to see maybe some sins that, that we are holding on to that, that have us entangled, and Lord, that you would not let us stay there, but that you would free us from that. Jesus, I know that you are the only possible way we can be freed from our sin, that we can be in right relationship with you, God. So I pray that you would bring us to that place, that you would do that work that only you can do, and that you would unify us and use us as salt and light in this world. Jesus, I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.